This is a can of oil. This can save your life. Now, it's just normal motor oil, but it's the lifeblood of your engine. I called a friend this week, and he told me a story about this dune buggy that he had. He put it together, and he had to rebuild the transaxle. It's the part that transfers the power from the engine to the wheels. And he had it rebuilt, put it back on, and forgot to put oil in it. So he took it out, and he ran it, and he heard that strange grinding noise, and the part froze because there was no oil. And while I'm thinking, as he's telling me the story, how lame that is, he quickly diverts to another story of his friend who had a Chevy Blazer, and he just neglected to periodically check the oil. So that eventually the oil became at such a critical level that the engine froze on the freeway and dropped to the ground. That's what I mean when I say this little can of oil can save your life. Because engines have so many finely machined parts that fit so intricately together that could get stuck or break or wiggle loose. They need the viscosity of oil to permeate it so that all those parts can move smoothly and the engine can be an efficient one. Well, relationships are just like that. Relationships need lubrication. And the more people in your family, the more lubrication you need. If you have a single couple without children, you have two relationships. What I mean is you have the relationship he has with his wife and the relationship she has with her husband. You add a child to the mix, you now have six relationships. The one he has with her, the one she has with him, the one dad has with the child, the one mom has with the child, the one the child has with dad, the one the child has with mom. That's six. You add another child to the mix, you have 12 relationships. It's a lot of parts. We have uh, some couples in our fellowship who have seven children. That's a lot of parts. And you need lots of oil for that. Does your relationships sound, what do they sound like? Are they, or, are they running smoothly? Do you need a tune-up? You ever see one of these? It's an owner's manual. I know you all have them in your cars, but do you ever read one? That's a different story. Do you like to read manuals? I don't like reading them. I like somebody just telling me how something works. Good, got it. But it's good from time to time at least to consult the owner's manual to figure out how this automobile, this complex machine with so many parts, is to run smoothly. This is an owner's manual. Ever read it? This is the owner's manual for what makes human beings tick and what makes relationships Fulfilling. It is God's owner's manual for us. I was amused to read what a nine-year-old boy named Craig said when he and a group of other kids were asked the question, what would you do on a first date that's turning sour? Craig said, I'd run home and play dead. <laughs> the next day I'd call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. There's an awful lot of people who do that in their marriages. 
They want to run somewhere and play dead and not resolve it, not work through it, not add the lubrication that is necessary. In fact, they'll pull out parts of the Bible and they'll hammer it at each other. Submit, woman. That's what it says in the Bible. Funny how many men only know that one verse. She might say, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul shows the various parts of the family machine. It is as if he lifts up the hood on the home, reaches in and pulls out all the various components and displays them and shows how they work together, and then he puts them back. And he does that showing the components beginning in verse 22 all the way down to chapter 6, verse 4. But first, he talks about the lubrication. The elements in a relationship that add viscosity, that add that smooth, efficient running of that family engine. Now, I have noticed that um, many people, books, pastors, begin a study in Ephesians 5 on the family with verse 22 that says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And they will say, that's the beginning of Paul's section on the family. That is both unfair relationally and out of context theologically. We really need to back up to the first time the word submit is used in the section, which is in the previous verse, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In fact, we actually have to back up further. To get the flow of the thought, the thought begins in verse 18. Grammatically, that's where the thought begins, because in verse 18, Paul gives two imperatives, a negative and a positive, followed by four participles, speaking, singing, thanking, submitting. All of those are tied to the cornerstone thought in verse 18, and all of this provides lubrication for relationships. Let's read verse 18 to verse 21, and then we'll comment on it. Paul says, and do not be drunk with wine, that's an imperative, in which is dissipation, but be filled, another imperative, with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. I want you to look, first of all, at verse 18. We're going to camp on that first because that's the engine. This is the engine of control. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, obviously, Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christians, those who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And let me just say that the theme of this book, if I were to put it in a a brief kind of a summation for you, the theme of Ephesians is a new society called Christianity and how this new society called Christianity fits, works in a fallen world. Paul first speaks theologically in the book, then Paul speaks practically in the rest of the book. That's sort of his style. In chapter 1, he says, we're in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, he puts us back down to earth. And the first concern of being back down to earth after all the theological stuff is the family. Why? 
simply because if your Christianity doesn't work at home, don't export it. That's the microcosm of life. So the first concern of practicality is that of the home. It's interesting, we were talking about the family this week at our staff pastor's meeting on Tuesdays, and one of my assistants told me that there's a guy that I guess comes to fellowship here, but he's finding out that we're doing a series on the family, and he said, I'm not coming to church while they're doing that series. Because I know what the Bible says about it, so I'm just going to wait till after it's done, then I'll return. Now, what kind of Christianity is that? When you're saying, I know what the Bible says, but I don't want to hear it. You see, it all begins with control. Who's controlling your life? Who's controlling your home? Who are you yielding to? Is it the Holy Spirit that's in control? Or are you trying to vie for control? Somebody wisely once said that unless there is that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. And that's where this verse comes in. Where Paul says, and be filled with the Spirit. So the first step, the first step in the home, be a Christian, be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Now you might have a counter question to that. And you might say, well, no, wait a minute, Skip. You talk about being a Christian, he's speaking to Christians, be filled with the Spirit. Why is it, Skip, then, that so many Christian marriages are in trouble? Why do we see them falling apart all around us? And this is the point. Because though every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of him or her, not every Christian is under the domination, the control of the Holy Spirit. Listen, a disobedient believer is going to have trouble in his family life as well as his personal life. So we begin here, be filled with the Spirit. Now notice it's a negative and positive command, and this has confused a lot of people. Why would Paul say, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit? Don't be drunk with wine, negative imperative, but be filled with the Spirit. Because on the surface, superficially, there is a similarity between the two. There is a similarity, but then there are many contrasts. Let me explain. When somebody drinks alcohol especially when somebody drinks a lot of alcohol, we describe that person as being under the influence. They're controlled by the alcohol. They will say things they normally wouldn't say in real life on a normal day. I love you. I really love you. I haven't heard that for years. When a person is filled with the Spirit, it can be said he is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the similarity ends and the contrast now begins. And probably what Paul was doing for the Ephesians is making a contrast with a cult worship called the worship of Dionysus in Ephesus where people would get together and they would dance and they would drink and they would have orgies because they believed that intoxication led to inspiration. And he's saying, don't be like that in your worship, in your lifestyle. He's contrasting this wild, lascivious action of somebody under the influence of alcohol versus this sweet and edifying action of one controlled by the Holy Spirit. He says in that verse, be filled with the Spirit. Now, we don't have to think hard to figure out what filled means. We can think of a glass and you pour water into it till it's to the brim. And we would say that is filled. The Greek word 
plerao means to fill to the brim, but. It is used throughout the scriptures and in ancient Greek writings for other things. For instance, wind was said to fill the sails of a ship in order to bring it to its destination, to guide it. Salt was said to fill or permeate the meat in order to preserve it. And it's also the word that was used often for controlling, like an emotion controlling a person. In John chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples after he tells them he's going to die on the cross, he says, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled, plerao, filled your hearts. You are controlled by the emotion of sorrow. So then to be filled with the Spirit is where the Holy Spirit takes a hold of your life. He permeates your life. He is in control of your life. That's where we begin when we talk about the home in Ephesians 5. Let the Holy Spirit permeate and control your life. I think that perhaps one of the best ways to look at the filling of the Holy Spirit is like not water filling a glass as much as a hand filling a glove. A glove is useful, but it's powerless. It needs the hand to fill it and thus control it. And so a hand would never say to a glove, Come on, you bum, get up and work. It can't. It has no power on its own. It requires a hand to fill the glove so that it can operate. And so in a marriage, don't be filled or controlled by anything else except the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with rage. Don't be filled with lust. Don't be filled with fear. Don't be filled with greed. Don't be filled with anger. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be a little more precise because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look next week at wives submitting to their husbands and then husbands loving their wives the following week. So I want to be a little more precise on this and I want to tell you four more things about this grammatically. Please bear with me, but it's very important. Number one, this is, as I said, in the imperative mood. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's essential. It's as if... Paul is saying, the Lord commands you, be filled with the Spirit. Now, why is that important? This is why it's important. Because you can get all the counseling you want. You can read all the marriage books you want and go to all the seminars you want and get all the tapes you want. But until you obey the Lord's command to relinquish control to Him, it's all in vain. It begins by obeying Him. This is a command. Number two, it's in the plural form. Paul is writing to all of the Christians at Ephesus, the whole Christian community. That's important. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit, personally and in the family, isn't just for a pastor or an elder. Well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in your family. Well, we all are. It's in the plural form. Number three, it's in the passive voice. In other words, it could be translated... Let allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. This tells me that the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't a mantra, it's not a technique, it's an allowance. It's where we allow the Holy Spirit to assume control, have the pink slip, run our lives, run our marriages. How do we do that? We do it by getting rid of anything that would hinder that control. 
Anything that's in the way of allowing the Holy Spirit to control. Whatever would grieve Him, get rid of it to allow the Spirit to fill you like the hand fills the glove. And number four, it is in the present tense. Now listen carefully. It's in the present tense. It's a present imperative. The Greek language has two kinds of imperatives. I don't want to give you a language lesson, and I wouldn't do it unless it was vital. There is, number one, an aorist imperative that implies a single completed action. Then there is the present imperative that uh, speaks of an ongoing continual action. Jesus, at the marriage supper of Canaan, gave a command. He said, fill the jars of water. That's a, an aorist imperative. He means fill them once, not fill them over and over and just keep filling them all day, all year long. Fill them once, it's done. But here it's present imperative. Be filled and be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing action. And here's my point. The mark of a healthy spiritual relationship with God is a person who refuses to live in the past, but lives in the present. He never has to say, or she never has to say, I remember many years ago, I was so close to the Lord. It was so wonderful way back then. Okay, cool. What about now? What about today? What's God doing in your life this week, this moment, It's the same with a relationship in marriage. A healthy marriage relationship isn't a couple who looks back to a time where it was really great and they were close to God and God was moving and controlling. It's in the present tense. Imagine this. It's from the Associated Press, Glasgow, Kentucky. Leslie Puckett, after struggling to start his car, lifted the hood and discovered someone had stolen the motor. Your marriage needs a motor. It needs an engine. And the engine, according to Paul, before we even get into wives submitting and husbands loving, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the motor. That's the engine. Now let's look at the gears, the components. The gears of spirituality, verse 19 first participle begins, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice something. All of these activities that are mentioned, all of them are spiritual in nature. Why? Because that's the result of the Holy Spirit controlling a life. If the Holy Spirit controls a life, the focus of the person's life is going to be spiritual focus, not a fleshly focus, a spiritual focus. The first gear I call relational edification because look how he words it. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I don't think that means that we actually have to stand in front of each other and talk to each other in chants. Hello, honey, how are you? Fine, how are you? We don't have, that, that's not the idea. The context, the context is a church context. Remember, this new community, this new community of believers, and the context is worship. Because when Christians get together, they love to sing. 
And the ancient church would often sing antiphonally, responsively. One would sing a part, the other would sing another part, and they would hear each other and sing to one another. Because the natural result of lives filled with the Spirit when they get together is to exchange the songs, the joy. And you know, if the Holy Spirit of God is controlling a husband and a wife, a family, there's going to be joy that permeates that home. He puts a song there. You, you may just want to ask a question. We'll move on. But ask this question. What kind of music fills your home? Is it Christ-centered? Is it edifying? And just for fun, here's an exercise you might want to try. When you gather together at the family meal, and say grace. Don't say words. Sing a song. Try that. Try sitting at the table and, and change it up a little bit. Instead of saying Oh, God bless his food. Just sing a psalm of worship. Eyes open in the presence of one another. I found an article that's interesting. It sort of goes along with this. The Detroit Free Press has an article called The Remedy for a Prune Face. I just love the title. It says, ladies, do you want to stay young? Of course, this would go for anyone. Then join a church choir. Women who sing stay younger looking. A singer's cheek muscles are so well developed by exercise that her face will not wrinkle as soon as the non-singer. Now, I am not advocating that just sing to one another so you'll stay young. But there is an attitude of heart, a joy, especially in a family where there is song. Then let's go on with that same verse. There's personal gratification for it says singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, if you're not a musical person, you are comforted by that verse. You're going, I don't have to sing, man. I'm off the hook. Because it's inward, isn't it? One of the first evidences, and you've found this to be true, of the filling of the Holy Spirit in a person's life after they become a Christian is a sense of inner peace, inner contentment, inner joy. It's like, wow. You ever listen to yourself when you're alone at home? You're getting ready in the morning. You're in the shower. Do songs come to mind? Or do you ever listen to your family members? What songs are coming to mind? I heard humming the other day from one of the bathrooms at our house. It was my son. He was humming. He was singing. And it was a worship song. Now, it was in a cool style. (laughs) But making melody in his heart unto the Lord. How much of God's joy is in your home? How much of God's joy is in your heart? The third gear is spiritual appreciation. Paul continues saying, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a tough one. Giving thanks always. Or as it says in Thessalonians, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything? After a fight? After an encounter with a rebellious teenager? In the midst of a difficult marriage? Yeah, in everything. Be thankful that God is still God, that God is still on the throne, and that God still offers resources to us to change our situations. 
don't know if I can thank God. You know what? 400 years ago, let's just go back a little bit, when America was really hard, when our pilgrim fathers landed here and they were making seven times as many graves for the dead as homes for the living. It was the most desperate time of all of American history. And yet they managed to carve out a day and call it Thanksgiving, being thankful to God for what they had. Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, we listed a few things in the family, even with the rebellious teen, even after an argument. Even Some of those conditions you may have brought on yourself. So you can thank God for his forgiveness then, can't you? Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, Lord, I thank you for it. You're always there for me. But I want to ask you, is your home filled with complaining, with grumbling? Because if it is, will you not agree that that is incompatible with the controlling of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is controlling it, here's part of the result, thanksgiving. Now for the real key to the whole passage. All of what we've talked about and read up to this point leads to this final real key. It is the oil of submission. When the Holy Spirit is controlling a life or two lives or three lives that results in a spiritual focus, then this will be the result. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What does that mean? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And please see that that verse is before the next verse. The word is hupatasso. comes from two words. Hupo or hupa, that means under. Tasso, it means to arrange or line up. It means to get under or to arrange in order under. It was often used in a military sense of soldiers in rank underneath an officer to obey, to submit. It means that we get under each other, and I'll explain what that means. Now, to even talk about submission these days, you're walking on thin ice. It's not a welcome message. You want to get people angry? Talk about their need to submit to anything at any level. That's just not talked about, tolerated these days, because permissiveness and what we would call freedom is. A Washington lawyer was being interviewed by a couple of authors about submission to authority, and this is what she said. To be perfectly honest, some laws seem to apply to me and some I disregard. Some tenets of the church add up. Others are absurd and even insulting. I don't need the Pope, the press, or some lowly cop to tell me how to live my life. That's general sentiment. General sentiment. Now, in contrast to that, is the Holy Spirit filling a life that makes us to go under somebody, to lift them up higher, to be humble, to be a servant, to submit. Now, this is important, folks, because an awful lot of people talk about the fact that they got filled with the Holy Spirit and they became very brash and self-assertive. This is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. I'm mad. I'm going to rebuke you in the name of the Lord. Well... Here, filled with the Spirit translates into submitting to one another, to rank underneath, 
Now, what is it based on? Look what it says. It's the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. What does that mean, in the fear of God? Well, it doesn't mean a dread fear. It means a reverential fear, an awe of God is the idea. A person who fears God is a person simply who wants to please God. And the only dread involved is that somehow their life wouldn't be pleasing to God at at every possible level. In a home, to fear the Lord means I want my life, I want my family to love God, to serve God, to honor God, to please God. Listen, couples, married couples, families who are committed to Jesus Christ have an edge, have an advantage over people who have no spiritual dimension at all. You know why? Because it means when they're faced with a decision, they're going to pray about it first. They're going to consult the scripture, not a horoscope. They're going to find out what God has. They're going to be leaning on him that gives them an advantage. Listen to a part of a letter that Dr. Jim Dobson received from A dear woman who was a listener of his program. Dear Dr. Dobson, my husband recently left me after 15 years of marriage. We had a great physical, emotional, and intellectual relationship, but something was missing. We had no spiritual bond between us. Please, please tell young couples that there will always be a void in their lives together without Christ. A good marriage must have its foundations in Him in order to experience lasting love, peace, and joy. Since my husband walked out on me, I have tried to rebuild my relationship with God. I am now growing in my walk with the Lord, but I am alone, sincerely. And she signs off. Now, how is this practice, this submission? Notice, something maybe you've never seen before. It is to be practiced mutually. Mutually. Bilateral, not unilateral, bilateral. For it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, there are homes where the husband understands his wife's role of submission very well, he thinks, but he has no clue as to his own role of submission. Now listen carefully. Verse 21 is transitional. The thought begins in verse 18. Verse 21 is transitional. After verse 21 are four paragraphs that illustrate the principle in verse 21. Submitting to one another. And here's four examples. Wives, husbands, children, parents, and then there's another one, masters and slaves, which in that day was in the home, was in the family relationship or at least considered to be so. So what Paul does is invites us into the microcosm of the family to see how mutual submission is to work. Now look at verse 22 carefully. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We'll get to that next time. But did you know that in the original manuscripts, at least in many of them, the word submit is not there in verse 22? That may shock you. And that's because it's only part of an example. Here's the, here's the illustration. Submit to one another. Wives, to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents or fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. In other words, all of those are submissive relationships. Submission isn't just for wives. It's for everybody. 
Now, maybe some of you guys in hearing that are saying, now wait a minute, Skip. Are you, t- you telling me <laughs> that I as a husband am to submit to my wife? Bingo. Exactly. And I'll show you how. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. There is no greater act of submission than death for somebody else. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate display of submission for the world. He came and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to serve the world, to get under the world as its Savior. It doesn't mean he stops being the leader. It just means that he gets underneath his wife to bear her burdens by loving her as Christ loved the church and gave himself, sacrificed himself for her. Then, in uh, following verses, children are submit to submit, verse 1, to their parents by obeying them. And then in chapter 6, verse 4, parents are to submit. The word fathers could be translated parents Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. How do we submit to our children? Not by saying, whatever you want, son. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. No, that's not it. You you don't relinquish the right as the head of the home. You get underneath them to train them and to teach them God's ways. And you know what? That's hard work to do that. So submission isn't being a, a doormat. It's being a servant submitting to one another. I feel the need to give you another example of that. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think you'll see it displayed beautifully of how it works. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1. Now concerning the things which I wrote, which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That is mutuality. That's mutual submission. Both partners underneath the other to help fulfill the needs in a marriage relationship. Mutual mutual submission doesn't negate leadership or headship. We're talking functionality here, not one being better than the other. Now, look at one other passage of Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians. Just go right a couple chapters. Chapter 11. 2nd verse. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now does that mean that the Father is superior to Jesus Christ? No. They are one in essence, and one in nature. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. That's the doctrine of the Trinity in the Scripture. It doesn't mean superiority here. They're one. Well, how is the Father then the head of Christ? Not in essence, not in nature, but in function. 
In the Godhead, for it to function smoothly well, there has to be roles. There has to be someone submitting to the will of another. And the son submitted to the will of his father. It's not superiority, it's functionality. And that need exists in the Godhead. It exists in government. It exists in marriage. Just like in government. Is a police who gives you a ticket better person than you are? No. Is any government official better than somebody else? No. We're all humans. We all fail. But there is a function. And for things to work well, we must get in line with that function. There's an authority. It exists in the Godhead. It exists in the government. It must exist also in marriage. And so, the oil, the smooth viscosity of submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. And that's why every teaching on marriage out of Ephesians 5 can't begin with verse 22. It begins in verse 21 and goes back to verse 18. The Holy Spirit controlling the elements, the gears of spiritual focus that results in a mutual submission one to another. There's an interesting story about a captain that was on a ship, a large ship, and it looked like he was on a collision course at night with another ship. The light was right in front of him. He would collide if action wasn't taken. So he sent a message. The message said to the other light, change your course 10 degrees south. Reply came back, no, change your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angry. Sent out another message, change your course 10 degrees south, I'm a captain. Came back the reply, change your course 10 degrees north, I'm a seaman third class. Now he's really angry and said, change your course 10 degrees south, I'm a battleship. The reply came back, change your course 10 degrees north, I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) One is fixed in the night. Buddy, I don't know how big you are or important you are, but you better change your course or you're dead meat. Now, in this dark and foggy world are all sorts of voices telling us how to adjust our lives. You want a happy life? You want a life as God intended it? Get in rank underneath the Holy Spirit in your personal life, in your relational life. Include your marriage, your children, as much as you can to get under them and submit, first of all, to the Lord, but then lovingly to each other. For some of us tonight, it must begin with God's control. You've tried to get a handle on this. Man, you've read the books, you've been to the seminars. Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't started with surrendering control of your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you need to begin. That's not true necessarily for everyone here, but maybe that's where you need to begin. That's something we can take care of now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, It is such a joy to surrender to someone who has such a great plan for our lives. There's not one of us in this room that would dare claim perfection. But we can claim submission and obedience. That can be an attainable goal where we say yes to you.
on a variety of levels that requires humility and mutual submission. Make us tender before you, Lord, bendable to your word, to your ways, so that the relationships we have between husbands and wives, wives and husbands, children and parents, parents and children, would be so fulfilling that we would say it couldn't be any better possibly. Lord, the way we began, we must continue. We began by surrendering. We must continue to surrender and yield and be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that our relationships would always be renewed and fresh. Father, I will pray now for those who may have come and realized their life hasn't even gone to the beginning yet of a surrender to Christ. There's no way that the relationship you invented is going to work the way you intended till we line ourselves up with you and are controlled by you. Some need to just relinquish that control right now, and we pray that would happen. And as we're praying, if you've gathered with us tonight, you haven't done that, and you haven't said to the Lord, I'm going to be your servant, I'm going to turn and follow you for the rest of my life. It's as simple as that. If you want to do that, then in an act of surrender, just raise your hand up. Raise it up. I'll notice your hand and I'll pray for you.